Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of John as we begin this morning. John chapter 20, John comes to the end of his gospel, and we know that John wrote five of the 27 New Testament books, the gospel of John, the Revelation last book, and then three letters. But John comes to the end of his gospel, and he gives us a, uh, a purpose statement, a reason for his having written this gospel. What was in his heart? Why did he choose to write down these these words? And I I find them very enlightening, very instructive uh, for all of us in terms of of how we are to approach Scripture, how we are to approach our, our time in the Word of God, and why God has even given us His Word. The question that I wanted to begin with this morning is, why did we just take a year to read the Bible cover to cover. Why do we take this time every day, and I I hope and pray that you continue as we move into this year of transformation to spend time every day in God's Word, to let the Lord speak to you. But I still want to come back to this question of why. Why do we do that? What's the ultimate goal? And John tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which he says, quite honestly, I didn't even just, I didn't write down. He did so much that I am not even including here. In fact, so much that all the books couldn't even contain it all. But the Holy Spirit, he is saying, verse 31, has directed me, inspired me to write these things. So that, here you go, you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Let me pause there. So his initial purpose in writing is it is a witness document so that it produces in us what, church? What? It's a question. Believing, thank you very much. Believing, faith. So he wants there to be a response that we would believe, but he goes on from there. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the Greek word life, which which is the word zoe. Zoe is more than just bios. Bios is biological life. Bios is a heartbeat. Bios is molecular movement. Bios is the, uh, the physical aspect of life. He says, I don't just write these things so that you may have bios. I write them so that you might have zoe. Zoe is spiritual life. It is vibrancy. It is passion. It is emotion. It is being alive in body, mind, and spirit. 
I write these things so that you may not just believe that this generates in you this act of supernatural. Faith is, is supernatural. Faith is not in, in the natural. It's, it's, it's spiritual activity. Agree? Faith. But he says, I write these things so that you might not just believe, but that that belief would produce in you an experience of life. That's God's goal for each and every one of us, is that we experience life. I love this quote by D.L. Moody, one of the great evangelists of the 19th century in Chicago. We now have Moody Bible Institute named after him and Moody Church. D.L. Moody said this, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Now, this is a, this is a big deal. <laughs> Because it is so easy to, to seek information. Because when we have information, we can catalog it, and we can remember it, and we can checklist it, and we can feel good about it, and we can say, oh, I, I know that. Oh, okay, good. I got that. I, I see that. I understand that. But God did not give us ultimately his word for information, but that it has this transformative effect. This goes beyond just knowledge, but zoe. God gives us his word so that when we read it, it stirs in us faith that is spiritual activity, and beyond that, we have this experience of life, of life, and this year, we're looking at what it looks like for God to transform us. See, that's the goal of our spiritual life, church. It's transformation, is that we have the experience of God literally touching us and changing us, shaping us into somebody that we are not right now. That as we look ahead into this coming year of 2017, that we experience a higher degree of spiritual life. And that spiritual life is resulting in, or it shows by love and by joy and by peace and by patience and by kindness and by mercy and by gentleness and by faith. These are experiences that God wants us to have as he is transforming us, that we become more and more spiritually alive. God wants us to be spiritually alive, <laughs> filled with life, Zoe, that we are more and more relationally connected. As God's spirit is at work in our lives and in the life of our congregation, we find a higher level of unity, of encouragement, of support, of challenge, of accountability, that we help one another and that we together then engage and bless our community with the gospel, that it doesn't just stay with us, but it, it moves out, that this zoe is contagious. 
It goes out the door. Transformation. So I, I want us to look here this morning, and this month we're, we're really taking a, a closer look at spiritually alive. Spiritually alive. And to get at this this morning, I, I would like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. I've dubbed this in my own heart, the trip that changed the world. And and I also believe as we see in Acts and in his letters, Paul's letters, that Paul himself was dramatically changed. (laughs) That there is even some transformation going on in Paul's life. I love that, by the way. I love that we see, even in the people of the Bible, that there is growth, there is change, there is movement and transformation of God at work in their lives. And so uh, as we pick up in Acts chapter 16, Paul is, uh, he's been in a place called Troas and he has this vision. God speaks to, to Paul. He has this vision of this Macedonian man. This is Macedonia up here saying, come over the Aegean Sea, and speak to us. So he gets on a boat, he crosses over to a port city and and walks up eight or ten miles to this main Roman city uh, on the, I believe it's called the Appian Way, which was one of the old main roads in the Roman Empire, in this city called Philippi. Paul gets to Philippi. Let's look together at chapter 16. Uh, verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea. We sailed for Samothrace. There we went to Neapolis. And there we traveled up to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Paul goes in, begins to share the faith. He begins to reason and, and, uh, and share the faith with others. A woman named Lydia gets saved. And so he begins this pattern of, of going to this place of, uh, of prayer. And verse 16, once we were going to the play, to place of prayer, and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She was demon-possessed. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, this is Really kind of funny. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, the demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her and her owners realized their hope of making money was gone and they seized Paul and Silas and drive, dra- dragged them into the marketplace. Wow, so Philippi becomes this riot, this, uh, this turmoil because of Paul casting out the demon of this woman. Well, that ends up getting them thrown into jail, and they end up leaving town the next morning uh, because it, it just gets too hard to stay there. So they go on down the road to a place called Thessalonica, chapter 17. Paul and his companions passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. 
As, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, so that's three weeks, he, underline this next word, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he goes on to Thessalonica. He's there for three weeks, and we see him doing this work of reasoning, thinking, proving, explaining. It's a lot of mental work, and we know that Paul was a brilliant man. He had a mind like no other. He was Ravi Zacharias on steroids, okay? Uh, He knew the Word of God, and it was good. And Paul spent about a month there. We said three, three weeks, and, and yet a riot ensues there. The people rush to this house that they thought Paul was at in search of Paul and Silas to bring them out to the crowd. Verse 6, they didn't find them there. They drag out Jason. So they end up having to leave Thessalonica after just about a month. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas on their way just down the road to Berea. So you can kind of see this journey that Paul is making. They get to Berea. And arriving there, they go to the synagogue, and the Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. But, verse 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word in Berea, it's just down the road, some of them went there too, agitating the crowd, stirring them up. So again, another riot. Three cities, three not-so-good results, if you will, not that it's Paul's fault. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, okay, so basically they put... Paul on a boat and have him sail down to Athens. So Paul leaves Berea and he goes now to the capital city and he actually goes um, alone. He goes by himself. And uh, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for the rest of the team in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he, again, I asked you to kind of point out this word reason in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. And again, Paul was a very smart guy. And so he was employing the the, the $10 seminary word is apologetic. Apologetics. It's not apologizing, it's reasoning. It's proving who God is and that God truly does exist. And so he then goes into this place called the Areopagus, which is where all of these philosophers and and, uh, thinkers would go. And he spent some time there on the Areopagus. And in fact, he tries to prove to them that God is there, is the one true God. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them, Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. After this, Paul left Athens and went just up the road again to Corinth. So we can see this journey that Paul takes. He's now in Corinth. He goes once again to the synagogue and uh, and reasons with them. But what I want to say at this point is that after we watch Paul on this journey, he's been doing a lot of thinking. Do you get that? A lot of reasoning, arguing, debating anyway. And 
he'd been run out of three cities. He left the capital city with only a handful of believers. Not that that, again, was bad, but I, I just have this sense that by the time Paul got to Corinth, he was a little frustrated. I really get that sense. I'm reading into it a little, I'll admit. But he'd only seen a handful of believers in Athens, and something seems to have changed when he came to Corinth. Why do I say that? Well, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because Paul then says in his first letter to the Corinthians that literally something had changed inside of him. He had made a decision to kind of take a different tack, to approach things a little differently. There's no doubt that up to this point, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, that he had done a lot of reasoning, a lot of proving, a lot of thinking and explaining. But he comes to chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, or human wisdom. Now, that isn't to say he didn't have it. Paul was an eloquent man, a smart man. He had a lot of human wisdom. In fact, he employed a whole bunch of it on the Areopagus as he reasoned with the philosophers. But he says, no, I I didn't come that way. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you actually in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. I want to submit to you, that's a shift. It's a new approach, if you will. It's a change in Paul's approach. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's almost like he, he was there in Athens and he reasoned and he, he thought this through and he felt really good about it and there was like a couple of people that had faith and he gets to Corinth and he's like, I almost get a sense he's a little depressed. And he says, no, I've, I've made the decision here that this is no eloquence because honestly, that's not going to change anybody. It doesn't work in the end. No human wisdom because this isn't, this isn't about human wisdom anyway. There's something way beyond this. I came in weakness. I came in great fear, humility, trembling, no wise, no persuasive words. Why? Because this is so much deeper than that, that spiritual life is not based on information. (laughs) Spiritual life is not based on knowledge, and yet, Oh my goodness, we in the church, at least in America, come on, let's be honest, we get so wrapped up in knowing. In knowing, in understanding. And Now let me just say right here, right now, that is not wrong. It's not bad. It's a start. 
John said, I write these things so that you may know the stories, then that knowledge leads to belief, but that that belief leads you to life. That this is about transformation. So Paul says, I came really with three things. One, uh, my testimony about God. Testimony is personal. It's a public recounting of a religious conversion or experience. He says, I came basically sharing with you what God's done in my life. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was a, a Christian killer, and now I'm a God lover. I had this experience of Jesus transforming me. Came with a testimony about God. Second of all, I came vowing to know only Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came focused on the cross, on the work of Jesus, dying for our sins, and thirdly, with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I love that. And this, this moves his ministry into kind of a different realm, doesn't it? <laughs> Knowledge is measurable, but this demonstration of the Spirit's power, well, it's spiritual. This involves a belief in the spiritual world. This involves an awareness of spiritual truth. And ultimately, this requires eyes that see spiritual reality. Spiritual reality. Now, let me just say, this is not... Christianity 101. This isn't. When we start talking about spiritual activity, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, yes, this is, to use a word, an experience. We experience life. We experience God's Spirit stirring in us, producing in us faith and life, and joy, and love. And honestly, this is not Christianity 101. Christianity 101 is more on the side of knowledge. Go to chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, verse 1, Paul says, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit. I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit. Why not? Because they weren't. <laughs> they weren't living by what? By the Spirit. There was not spiritual life. Now, he's saying, yeah, there was a lot of good things happening, and, and there was understanding, but I came with this conviction of preaching to you spiritual truth, and I, I wanted so badly to address you as people, men, women, children, who live by the Spirit, but eh, you're still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, and I have to believe there that that milk that he's giving them are the basic fundamental truths of the Scripture. What he wants for them is that they experience spiritual life. In fact, go back to chapter 2 then. He says, we, I, him and his team, verse 6, speak a message of wisdom, 
among the mature. And let me just tell you that this message of wisdom among the mature is a spiritual message. This is spiritual truth understood by a spiritual experience, by God's Spirit living in us and helping us understand it. Not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Church, that is the gospel. It's the message of salvation that is ours in Jesus on the cross. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified Jesus. However, as it is written in Isaiah, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind, human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. Let's say that again. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. This is a spiritual reality. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. For the spirit, and now it's capital S, Holy Spirit, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, what we have received as believers, when we come to faith in Christ, we are given by God the Holy Spirit in our soul that gives us life. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, knowledge, information, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. But that is a spiritual understanding. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. They don't make sense. And can't understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person, person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct in? But we have the mind of Christ. Here's what I want to introduce. As we enter into this year of transformation... And it's this reality that spiritual life can only be produced by the Spirit of God. We will not experience spiritual life simply by knowing more information. There has to be a work of God. And God's Word then reveals spiritual realities using Spirit-taught words as Paul says here. That's the goal. That's how we experience spiritual life. I love the message translation of, of what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 2. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation. 
that he is giving us. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. We learned it from God who taught us person to person through Jesus in our inner person. And we're passing it on to you in the same firsthand personal way. The unspiritual self, that is the the, the person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, just as it is by nature can't receive the gifts of God's Spirit, there's no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. Spirit can only be known by spirit. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion. Now, let me just pause to say, again, this is not Christianity 101, is it? Wow. This is deep spiritual truths that as we grow and mature in our faith, we come to discern them. But he says, spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing. That's the hope, the goal is that we experience spiritual life. And in that, we have access to all that God is doing. It's my prayer. Is that we open our hearts, church, to the work of God's spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Let me say again, knowledge is not bad at all. It's important. But it is not an end in and of itself. The goal is transformation. And transformation happens when the Holy Spirit fills our being by faith. When Jesus comes into our lives and we then are given the very mind of Christ. We have the opportunity right now to partake in this act of communion seems on the surface that we're just eating a little cracker and drinking a little juice cup. But by faith, we're doing far more than that. We are receiving, we are believing that Jesus came for us, for me. That he died for me. That his work of grace is applied to my heart, to my life, to my sin, to my pain my heart. Jesus, as we come to this table right now, we come in faith, thanking you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for us. You laid your life, Jesus, down on that cross, and that by believing, we may have life in your name. Jesus, I pray now that you would touch us with your zoe, with your life, By your spirit, pour yourself into our hearts, into our soul, that we might experience life as you desire for us. We open our hearts, we receive, in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.